You know you are as small as the things you let annoy you, and you know you are gigantic as the things that you adore. Complicated Creation, Cloud Cult Bad things happened to me in October. I don't know why. It seems like there has always been some distinct moment, even when I was a kid. The annual event that just bumps me a little off course for a stretch. Usually some mental distress, relationship hiccup, or thing I do without thinking with unforeseen consequences. For almost two decades, I have referred to it as the October drop in my head, and this is the first time I've ever said those words out loud. Some examples of past occurrences include my annual high school breakups, various collegiate extreme blackouts, losing key items, and a handful of having the cup of anxiety overflow at just the worst possible moment. That last one may or may not have led to the rest of the list, or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe time is a flat circle, who knows. I have done my best to chill out every October for the last decade, and the drop has become a rarer event. That doesn't stop the appearance of October 1 from causing me the same level of anxiety as hearing the ticking of an unusually loud clock in an otherwise silent room. Which is sad, because I love the season. I love Halloween. I love watching the leaves change and rain down in the parks, and the addition of jackets to my casual wear. I never let the anxiety ruin my appreciation for the best that October has for me. I just wish October would get off my back sometimes. In addition to the October drop, I've had a lot of weird stuff happen to me in my life. The people closest to me often refer to me as a magnet for the strange. My wife even jokes about how when we live in one place too long, unexplainable things begin to happen. Sometimes it is these weird events that are responsible for my seasonal anxiety. I'm going to start this week off with a story that went alongside a particularly strange and literal October drop. My theme this week is, well, you'll see. I'm going to take you back to October of 2002, my sophomore year of high school, wherein I was a notoriously weird dude. That being said, I had a lot of friends and a lot of cliques, and would get invited to participate in all manner of activities. A few folk wanted me to participate in the school's haunted theater event, and while I dig spooky stuff, places like that really aren't my jam. The thing is, my girlfriend at the time, who I will call E, was part of the group extending the invite, and the pressure was on. I reluctantly said yes, and in hindsight, I wish I hadn't. It was a fundraiser event for the theater department, where we used a bunch of the old props and costumes to build the best $5 spook alley $0 could afford. Like all high school theaters, there were rumors of ghost sightings and props mysteriously disappearing when you need them the most. Ghost stories aside, the theater was nice and the backstage included a pretty comfy room where people could hang out, make out, or otherwise chill out during rehearsal, set building, or the actual performance. For the most part, the spook alley was actually a pretty fun activity, save for a dude I will affectionately refer to as P. P was a capital douche who tried to convince everyone around him how cool he was, but in the process dragged as many people into the mud with him as possible. For example, day one he comes into the planning meeting with two big bags of Halloween candy, he puts them in a large bowl and allows everyone to dig in, then proceeds to give us the exact details on how he stole them. A story that includes throwing a fountain drink onto the floor in a gas station so the clerk would have to clean it up as he made his getaway. The only two people impressed by this tale were P and E. Right there is where I should have made my exit. I blame high school hormones. Then day two happened. This event featured more stolen goods and an acoustic guitar that P swore he could play, a fact that he could never be bothered to prove. He also refused to help with any of the setup. Instead, he just spent the evening on the backstage couch and enticed any female who would listen to him with stories about how cool he was. 
a week into the antics, and I had had a few talks with my friends as well as E about it. E and I came to a disagreement and split up. I should have just dipped and not gone back to the event, but pressure from my remaining friends kept me going. The next few nights went by pretty terribly. Between my reluctance to be there, my friend's insistence that I keep showing up, and P's insistence that E just go with him instead, I was subjecting myself to a fantastic level of adolescent torture that fills me with a very real adult sense of embarrassment. Eventually, E did take off with Mr. Cool, and the next day she insisted on sharing every detail with me, loudly and very publicly, and apparently that was the line that needed to be crossed before I decided not to go back to the theater. That is, not until opening night, when I knew E would not be there. When I arrived, P was in a rage about his guitar having gone missing, and he was convinced that it was me. I tried to explain that I wasn't even around when it disappeared. He got aggressive about it. He pushed me into the wall and told me that if it wasn't back in its case soon, he'd, and what a quote this is, put me in the case and bury it. Swell kid. I had a bit of an anger problem, and when confronted like this, I would see red. I was about to give him some choice words of my own, with my fists, when my friends B and K walked in. They were already in costume and had come to help me suit up. B was mid-sentence as they poked in, but K cut him off and pointed. Not at P and I, but up at the wall. He dropped the classic WTF, and I turned around to see the guitar hanging 12 feet up on the wall. It spun halfway around like the hands of a clock and dropped onto the cement floor. Surprisingly, it didn't shatter, but the thunderous reverberating noise it made made us all jump. P ran over and snatched it up with a confused look on his face, but then he just stormed off. K was white as a sheet. He got the best look at it, and he said the guitar had spun around multiple times before it dropped. I'm positive I would have noticed it against the wall when I walked into the room, and that it wasn't there initially. There was no rope or rigging to have suspended it. We chalked it up to someone playing a prank on P, that is until we heard the same reverberating thud again an hour later, and again another hour later. We were well and gone before the next hour came. Despite looking for any evidence of how the prank was done, and nobody fessed up to the prank, and Kay couldn't figure out how it would have stuck up there, so now that story just occupies a space on the shelf of weird tales about another backstage at a high school theater. This next one takes place nearly a decade later. My wife, Kim, and I had been living in our first apartment together, where when we played host to a revolving cast akin to a 90s sitcom. It wasn't unusual for people to just walk in or out without so much as a knock or crash on the couch for a few days. Things came and went nearly as frequently as the people did, so it wasn't surprising with the small wireless mouse my wife would use with her laptop had vanished. The odd thing was that the USB dongle was still plugged in, so it seemed like nobody had borrowed it. We tore the place apart looking for it. The search yielded nothing but frustration, so a week later we picked up a cheap replacement and moved on. Not long later is when we smuggled in our secret, not-so-secret cat Gidget. As a kitten, she was a playful little rascal who would get into everything and anything. It wasn't unusual to find her in unexpected places, just waiting for play. For example, when I would open a drawer to put away clothes post-laundry, I would hear the telltale scratching of her claws on the back or bottom of the drawers. I would tap my finger on the wood and she'd scratch away trying to get at the sound. It happened every time I did laundry, and I thought it had just become one of her favorite games, but Kim never saw it happen. I would try to grab her during each occasion, but when we could get to the dresser, Gidget would have gotten bored without the tapping and it wouldn't start up again. Finally, one time, the last time, Kim was sitting in the kitchen in a place I could see her as the scratching began. I called out for her to come look. What is it? Gidget's in the drawer doing the scratching thing. No, she's not. The scratching stopped. She's doing it right now. 
As I said the words aloud, I felt a cold chill creep into my chest. No, she's playing on the couch. I can see her from here. Kim walked over as I pulled the drawers out, half expecting a mouse. We had never seen anything like that in our second-story apartment. The building was nice, only a few years old. There was nothing in the drawers or empty dresser. No mouse. The cold chill was still hanging in my body, so the two of us walked into the kitchen to get a warm drink. That's when I saw it. The cold now manifest as a lump in my throat. I couldn't say anything. I just pointed. Kim said what before she followed the gesture and saw it as well. The missing mouse. Not a mouse from the drawer, but the tiny laptop mouse that had been missing for months at this point was suddenly the only thing on our kitchen counter. It was perfectly placed in the middle of the dish drying rack. Nobody had been in or out that day, and the dishes had been done just before I moved on to laundry. It was just there. Almost as if by way of apology for tricking me into thinking I was playing with a cat rather than a... whatever it was. I never heard the scratching again. I've shared many homes with many peoples over the years, and quite a few of them share in the strange experiences. My wife and I had moved into a duplex on the other end of town and split the rent as well as the living spaces with a different assortment of rotating folk. For a few months, my friend A lived with us. Kim, A, and myself all enjoyed wine, and over time we decorated the space above our kitchen cabinets with the trophies from our selection of assorted bottles. Those cabinets had a crown molding that safely held the bottles in place. In fact, we only ever had one bottle drop. A and I worked together in the mornings and would get up early to breakfast and carpool. There was one morning. I remember it being cold and I was reluctant to get up off the couch. A walked on by on her way to the kitchen and motioned as if she were going to help me stand up when she gave me the old psych and continued on her way. I pushed myself up off the couch and turned in time to see a wine bottle fall onto the counter, bounce a good foot back up into the air, then silently pop in midair. Despite the silence, it was as if a grenade of glass had blown up, sending shards everywhere between the kitchen and the living room. We scrambled to get it cleaned up before we had to leave, but all the while A was silent. After the frantic, careful dance of cleaning glass, in the forced calm of the car ride to work, we puzzled over the event. A swore she looked up to see it floating there, six inches from the cabinets, touching the ceiling. She said it dropped only the moment she looked at it. I believe her. It would have taken quite the shake to dislodge a single bottle. And why only a single bottle? There was a dozen up there. Why did it fall straight down? Why did it bounce? Why did it explode the way it did? Why weren't there any pieces bigger than my thumbnail? In fact, the largest whole chunk was the clump held together by the label. A white label trimmed in gold with black and red text embossed with the words, Casiero del Diablo.